Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Conquer the Gauntlet Pro and Strength and Speed owner, Evan Preparis. We do have a special guest on the line. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Hannibal Race Kuwait. If you've been following the podcast with the episode with Amin Dib, if you've been following Facebook or Instagram, you've heard about our giveaway. So we are doing an epic OCR giveaway. We're giving away a free plane ticket, hotel, Travel to the race, race entry for Hannibal Race Kuwait, which is on February 8th, 2020. So head over to our Facebook page to enter that contest. It has a bunch of essentially links you can click on and gain entries. And then you can gain more entries if you subscribe to the podcast or pick up one of my books. And in addition to giving away that huge grand prize, I'm also giving away Blegmit's Extremes and Blegmit Lights and several copies of some of the books I've written. So... Tons of stuff to give away, even if you don't win the grand prize. I think we have seven prizes total. So make sure you enter that. If you're picking up Bleg Mitts for Christmas, please order before December 19th because so they get there in time. And we already sold out of extreme smalls. We still have medium and large extremes, and we have small, medium, and large and lights. So check that out. You can head over to teamstrengthspeed.com. Let's get to the show. Joining me, I have a guest on the line who I've had on before. We got Jared Newby. Jared, say hi. Hey, everybody. So if you don't know Jarrett um, and you missed that episode from, what was it, like two years ago, he comes from a track background, great runner. He's done well at, you know, top five world's toughest mutter. He's done, you know, he regularly podiums at all different distances, tends to focus more on shorter stuff usually, although, like I said, he, he does the, has done well at world's toughest mutter. And he was actually injured last year. So we haven't seen much of him this year. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And in addition to that, he owns Noob Sanity, which is a permanent course in, around Binghamton, New York, and it is phenomenal. It's literally in his backyard, but it is legit obstacles. It is a completely awesome course, and I used it as part of OCR America back in 2016. So, Jared, welcome to the show. Thanks, Evan. I appreciate you having me on, and I always like to point out when you know, I say the obstacle course is in my backyard. It technically is, but we have about 150 acres. So when you think backyard, don't think you're running around the flower bed and, you know, around the dog house. We've, we've got the full course out there and hopefully we can get you back up here in the next year or two, Evan. We've built a few more obstacles since you've been here. Nice. This year we're focused on like an event area. So we've built this, this big pavilion. It's going to be mostly open, but one 40 foot side of it's going to be like a bouldering wall just so we can do a few more things when it's rainy. And then underneath the whole thing is going to be a grip rig. So when we're not doing awards or um, having food, those type of things, it's, it's going to be a permanent place to have like an outdoor workout space and grip. So in addition to the obstacles, we thought that would be a really cool thing. And for us, you know, community has always been big at Noob Sandy. And we're like, that's just going to be another piece of it where you come do obstacles and then you, you hang out afterwards and, it's right there, right in the middle of all the obstacles. So we're psyched about that. Yeah, your community up there is amazing. Like I've traveled around to a fair number of places, raced in a bunch of different locations, both permanent venues and, you know, venues that are traveling. 
And in my opinion, you guys have the best little environment there between, you know, the, the number of athletes, the quality and range of athletes from elites all the way down to beginners. And then you have that permanent course. And, you know, I know you host a lot of different events, which we'll, I want to talk about a little bit later in the episode. But yeah, it's just such a great community up there. So if you're in Binghamton, New York area, you need to stop by Noob Sanity for a race or, or for what you guys still doing training things on Wednesdays? Or it- yeah, so um, we take a little break right now just because the fall is hunting season. We try to be nice to our neighbors because they don't complain about us running through the woods and making noise all year. So this is our couple months we are down, but then we start back up beginning of the year. We actually go every Sunday getting ready for the winter Spartan race at Greek Peak because that's about 30 minutes from here. And we like to show up huge, try to win as many of the age group stuff, try to get on the elite podium. And then I always say we'll have a number of people that will probably win the beer tent too. <laughs> nice. All right. So this episode, we're going to be talking about Noob Sanity a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of Spartan's new rules. We're also going to be talking about well, the main reason I have Jared on um, is because he went to the Platinum Rig 24-hour relay championship earlier this year, which I wanted to go to, but ended up going to Toughest Mudder Vegas instead because I couldn't find a good team to uh, head up to Canada with me. So that's what mainly we're going to talk about. And we'll also talk about his injury and kind of overcoming that and, you know, kind of some of his recent results. Before we get to that, though, I don't know if you've been listening to the podcast or paying attention to World's Toughest Motor this year, but something you said like two years ago finally came to fruition where they had online check-in for the pit area. See? And I, and I was super excited. And I don't know if it was because of you or because of this podcast, but we're going to take credit for it. So you're welcome because it was super smooth. I was going to say, if you go back and listen to that podcast, I, I always struggle on podcasts. I feel like Ricky Bobby from the Talladega Nice, but I think the substance that we talked about, I think we talked about a, a consolidation of some of the major brands, which some of them have been struggling. And we talked about that. So it, it's kind of funny. The things we talked about happened. It'll be interesting just as we're talking today, you know, about the, the different events and direction of the sport if if we stumble across anything that comes to fruition in the next two to five years the one that we talked about that i haven't seen come or at least i haven't seen done well anywhere was the format where the elites sign up and for every elite that signs up like a percentage of that money goes into the pot i haven't seen any races do that yet or at least not in a large scale or done very well yet so yeah it's something that you know we I think it's tough because you can get away with not doing it. So that's just more money in, in the pocket of the event. I think it's possible. You know, I think a lot of people that are running these organizations in OCR, they come from a a running background or triathlon background. And I just have a little bit of a different take because I come from a motocross background and having been a pro motocross race official that the motorsports world is just totally different. And I think being able to blend the two is, is cool and we get some unique ideas from it. Awesome. So let's jump right into the Platinum Rig 24-hour championship. So for those of us who don't know what it was like, it was not a traditional 24-hour OCR format. One, because it was a relay and two, because it was essentially like on a track. So tell, just tell everyone about the environment and the course and uh, we'll kind of go from there. Sure. It was up in Montreal and I'll start off by saying it was one of the coolest OCR events I've done. And I haven't left an event event feeling that excited in a really long time. So they did an amazing job with it. Um, it was, it was on a cinder track. So think of like 
you know, horse racing type of environment. It was packed down and you would run 400 meters on the inside of the track, which was loaded with obstacles. And then you'd get to the basically where you started, but instead of finishing, you would hook to the outside of the track and you'd run 400 meters back. So it was about an 800 meter leg every time that you ran. They had probably 20 to 30 obstacles set up in that half mile. And some of them were easier type of obstacles, you know, just to crawl under or go up a ramp, but to put 30 of them in there or however many they had open at a certain time because they would turn them on and off. So you wouldn't do the same obstacle for 24 hours straight. They would match them up together. I think like supersets when you're lifting. So, you know, you do a grip thing, then all of a sudden the next grip things open or you do a crawl and then all of a sudden you have to jump over a wall. So they did a really good job of that, but the obstacles themselves were, were unique. I was actually expecting them to be a little bit harder just because if any of you have done OCR worlds, or have touched anything platinum rig, usually they put together some of the meanest rigs and obstacles imaginable. Um, but with it being a 24 hour race, I think they dialed in the difficulty to the right level. I was a little disappointed just because I put together such a grip heavy team where I could have subbed some of our grip ability for running ability. Maybe we would have done a little bit better, but we ended up fourth overall. They paid out top five and they just did a lot of unique things that we'll touch on during this conversation. Awesome. I mean, it sounds like a phenomenal event and you know, the, I did the terrain relay 24 hour race, the one and only one they did back in 2017 and just the relay format with the 24 hour and like not completely crappy weather was actually super fun. And we had a, we just had a great time and terrains doesn't have the best reputation, but their 24 hour race was actually a lot of fun. Uh, I had some complaints about it, but Overall, it was it was really good, and the platinum rig one just looked phenomenal. And like I said, I couldn't find. I was trying to put together a team for a couple months, and then it just kind of fell apart. And yeah, ended up just going to Las Vegas instead for uh, toughest mutter. So, who's on your I, team? I think that's still still yeah. a pretty good um, backup to go to a tough mutter in Vegas. So, yeah, my, I had I had a really good team. We had um, Jereen Klinberg. And if you're not familiar with her, she's, um, she's one of our Noob Sandy athletes. Um, I think she won two Spartan Elite events this year and was on the podium consistently for the Elite Savage race. And she's a strong runner. She's an even stronger grip person. I mean, there is not a rig at an actual race that she can't do. And most of the time, she does it faster than the men. I mean, she's, she's a monster. So classes you had to have at least one female on your team so for some of the teams their female leg was the weakest that wasn't the case for us we had just an absolute monster so that pushed us up in the standings I had Dominic Vitale he's another one of of our local athletes he's not as much a distance guy so that was the big question mark going in but he was a college sprinter in the 100 and 200 meter dash um, he works construction, but also works at the Ninja gym. And he's probably the best all around obstacle person at my, at my course. So we had him up there and we had Matt Polano who just gets stronger and stronger as events go on. Um, he's a, I think he's a seven time national water ski champion. So 
our thought was if all of a sudden, you know, one of us isn't able to, to do a grip workout or to do a grip rig. Yeah. So if we have a grip problem, we can handle it. And what was really cool is at the end of the day, it didn't matter what order you went in. You could send someone out multiple times in a row. And we actually did that. And you just had to have each runner do at least 20%. So when the low rig came out, which I actually struggled with, um, I took a break and Matt, our water ski super grip guy, he went out and he hammered a few laps when the low grip was at its meanest, just because he could do it so much faster than I could. Instead of me wasting energy doing that, you know, I would rest up and when they changed that one out or changed the grips on it so I could go through faster as a tall person, then we got back to our normal order and I picked up more laps again. Nice. And how long, I mean, you guys, so you guys obviously did really well, top five. How long was it taking you per lap? Assuming you, let's say you changed out every lap, like halfway through the event, let's say not, not like the first couple or the last couple. It was the same. It was almost the same the whole time, which was brutal. Cause um, you think about world's toughest and it's this, just that, that slow, awful push. And every lap was like six to 10 minutes for the whole event. So you would go, and if you, you were going just one at a time, you would end up going again in 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Yeah, that's and, nice. and you'd be pushing all out the whole time. So when I mean, you get done, you have that you know, dry mouth. It kind of tastes like blood or pennies or whatever you get when you're redlining that's the feeling that you'd get, but then you do that 40 times and um, <laughs> it, it makes for a rough event. So we were, we were following the one, one, one strategy. And the only exception to that would be if somebody came in and our partner wasn't at the transition area, instead of waiting for the partner, even if they were coming, you would just take off for your next lap nice. and they would, they would catch back up. However, about halfway through, um, our water ski guy, he was, he was just struggling a little bit on a, a couple of the, the run parts of it. And, you know, he's still flying, but he just, he was losing a step compared to the top teams and he's a strategy guy. He wants to win. So he came and said, you know, Hey, Jarrett, can you take some of my laps? And when the obstacles get tough, you know, I can try to make them up. And if not, you know, hopefully you can make up some time. So about eight to 10 hours in, I started taking an extra lap almost every time. So all of my teammates did about 20% and I did closer to 40% of the total laps and mileage. And once we made that change, we started to chip away. And the only exception to that was, like I said, in the middle of the night when the low rig was really kicking my butt, he, he jumped in and stepped up and hammered out some really crucial laps for us. Nice. Sounds like good strategy. What were some of the other challenging obstacles? You mentioned the low rig was giving you problems. Um, any other ones that were kind of grip intensive or I guess as the night wore on, you know, just required a lot of energy. One of the ones that I saw give people a lot of, a lot of trouble. It was the, it was the carry. <laughs> they, they had sandbags, which, okay. But then some, some of the laps you'd come by and you had to carry like a gym mat, like like a rubber mat that you'd put down on the gym floor or a horse stall. And you would essentially have to like roll it up. Like you were carrying a carpet and try to carry it. And it kept unrolling on people. And um, 
that that was a harder one, but that you know that's a carry. That's not an obstacle. Some of the obstacles that were tough were they had monkey bars where the bars rotated, so you've got gloves on because it's below freezing. It's Canada and um, what October? I mean, it was cold, and you'd go across the monkey bars, and the monkey bars are on rotation, so all the bars spin. So you really have to be focused for that one. A lot of people were failing that. Um, I'm trying to think of what this, I think it was called Samurai when it was at OCR Worlds. It's, it's essentially, it's like the poles and the logs that are standing upright and you have to bear hug them going across. Yeah. Samurai Platinum Rig is what it was called. Yeah. Yeah. So they had, they had that open and you know, you do that 40 times, you start, you start to wear out. They, they used some obstacles in a really unique way that I hadn't seen before. Um, they had two cargo nets that looked like a sandwich. And sometimes you would go under it. Sometimes you'd go through the middle. And sometimes you'd go over the top. And they mixed that up throughout the event. And for being a simple obstacle, it just wore you out and slowed you down. And then I think one of the other rigs that gave people problem is you would swing into a cargo net. And from that cargo net, you would get it swinging and reach for another cargo net, get it swinging and reach for another cargo net by yourself. It's probably an easy obstacle, but for most people, they hit it while other people were doing it and you get out of rhythm because somebody's faster than somebody else. They don't want to wait. And all of a sudden, right when you're reaching for it, the other person's pulling back and you end up missing it. So a lot of people did that. And if I didn't mention this at the beginning, you could fail an obstacle, but, and retry it and retry it. But if you couldn't do it, it's not like do 30 burpees and keep going. You had to run your lap backwards, skipping the obstacles till you got back to the start line, tag your teammate, and then your teammate could start and your lap doesn't count. So that happened to a couple teams that were battling in the top five, top 10 early in the race. That's and amazing. that's a huge, it's a huge penalty and you don't see them again. And their last obstacle was a rig. So you do the whole half mile and then you got to do a rig. So I saw people not make it and run all the way back. And that, that was pretty cool. At the very end, um, they broke out. I, I call them the anti gibbons. I don't know what they're actually called at, OCR Worlds and some of those events, Gibbons have started to, to come into style. And those are the ones where you have the wooden dowel and you hook it into the um, upside down U-shaped thing. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Yeah. So people were chicken winging that at North American Worlds, I believe. So what he came up with is essentially you hold on to a U-shaped thing and there's what looks like a little bone hanging off of a metal, a metal carabiner. And you're holding these two U-shaped things and you have to hook your U-shaped thing on this little thing and then reach to the next one and hook in and then unhook and go. And that was brutal. Um, I remember uh, Platinum Rig Dom posting the pictures of that in the OCR World Championships group. And they looked, <laughs> the U's looked heavy. Were they, were they heavy to actually make the transitions or were they, they weren't too bad? Yeah. yeah they were oh, they were heavy? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'll, I was like, oh, maybe they're lighter. Maybe they're made out of some like super light material, but I guess not. 
Yeah, well, they end, They were still cool, and I think they're good for practice. He didn't have it open the whole time. He did a lot of things that would, like, mentally mess with you. So he had it set up like that. So everybody was like, oh, my gosh, we're going to have to do these right at the start of the race. Everybody's planning for it. And then right when the race starts, his guys switched it, and you came around for the first time, and it wasn't that. So <laughs> I, I loved that as a head game. And at the end, the way he did it, because um, we were 24 hours into the race, basically, when he put this obstacle up. He went regular ring to hook to regular ring to hook to regular ring to hook. So that way you always got one hand that was stabilized. Mm. Um, just, you know, as well as anybody who's done a long endurance race to ask your body to do something like that 24 hours in, whether or not it's relay is, is a big ass. So he understands OCR and understands that was the right thing to do to maybe not make it as crazy as it could have been but it was still crazy i'll send you a video i don't know if you can post it but it's me basically doing a one-arm dead hang as i miss it seven times before finally getting it clicked in nice <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll post that on the instagram and the strength and speed facebook page now i yeah. love that format i think that is super cool i mean that is it's obstacle course racing right like i don't like i like that you have to do the obstacles i think that's awesome how did that transfer to the you know let's say i mean i'm sure there was teams there that were not there to win they're not there to be competitive they're just out there having fun how did they kind of take that or like that format with the mandatory completion i think everybody did pretty well with it i think one of the things that platinum rig did really well is rotating through um, which obstacles were open and which obstacles weren't so that um, it was never an impossible course as an elite team and as someone that had you know, some really strong grip people. I wish they maybe would have had an hour where they put it out there and said, Hey, from 11 to 12 PM or from four to 5 AM, our super rigs are going to be out. It's going to be hard. It's going to be crazy. So plan accordingly, either plan that as a rest time or plan your best rig people to be out there because that's what platinum rigs known for. So I would have liked to see some of their harder rig setups, but for teams that maybe weren't as elite that were there for fun the way it was set up because it's a 24-hour format all the obstacles felt and seemed doable for the the average OCR athlete what made it tough was trying to do them fast and trying to do them repeatedly so I sent you another video where it was a pipe and we've all crawled through pipes at a race and I've never once left that race going, Oh, that was a cool obstacle. It's a pipe. They, they actually made it kind of cool because you're going fast. And most of the time when you're at an OCR race, it's ground level. You get down on your hands and knees and you crawl through it. They had them at about waist level and they were hanging on chains. And what made it cool about it is the elite people would be running and you'd actually pick up speed going into it so you had the speed for it and you would commit and you would dive and you would dive and slide all the way through the tube and just pop out the other side and continue running so that's awesome crawling takes like especially for me being a tall guy because i can't crawl i have to lay on my stomach it takes me like 10 seconds or more to go through a short tube um at savage race when they have teeter tube tuber i get stuck in it all the time I like lose elite positions because of it. And on this one, they set it up in a way where if you wanted to roll the dice a little bit, you could be done in one second. 
I also lost a horrendous amount of skin on my shin from it. And, and, um, and I was pretty sure I like bruised my, my heel or my Achilles because one time I hit my thighs so hard because I came up short, I hit my thighs into the front of the tube that my feet kicked up and I hit my Achilles on the top of the tube. <laughs> and that I thought that was pretty, a pretty unique way to use it. And a funny story with that is you're talking about elite teams versus non-elite teams. I'm on the starting line and I see this guy who looks really in shape and he's wearing shin guards. And I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. You know, why would you wear shin guards at an obstacle course race? Like he must be doing it as a joke or it's like a costume team. No, he understood the obstacles that were going to be there. He understood <laughs> one of them was going to be this tube. And he was the one that I actually saw dive through the tube first. And I was like, that son of a gun, like what he's a genius. Like, I don't care what I look like. I would absolutely wear shin guards to dive through a tube 40 to 80 times during the, the course of the event. Cause they had them two places on the course. So just, just a lot of unique things. But again, for the regular OCR athlete, you, I mean, you can crawl through a tube, but if you're elite, you know, are you going to risk it and dive through it when you're going over the walls? Are you going to roll and flip over them? Or are you going to go slow? Um, are, with the ramps, are you going to go slow and grab the rope and work your way up? Or are you going to, you know, just, just go for it. So they did a good job with that. I thought. And you got some great video out of it, clearly of you sliding through a tube. So it was worth it despite the bruises to your lower extremities. Yes. So. It's funny that 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 story reminds me of. I did the hammer race uh, about a year ago. We carry a ten pound sledgehammer through an OCR course, about ten k, and I'm on the start line. And the race director's like, "Yeah, you're gonna want you're gonna want to have pants." I'm I'm wearing my normal race shorts and like high socks. And he's like, "You're gonna want pants for this." And I'm like, "I've done OCR before. I think I know what I need. I think I know what I need to wear." And I finished the ten k course, and my legs looked like they'd been scratched by cats. Like, I mean, scratches like. Anywhere there was exposed skin, it was just ripped to shreds because there was a lot of like thorns. It was the uh, it was this, the fall race, so like, oh, it was just brutal. It was it was so bad. It, like, and I took a shower and everything burned. Kind of. Oh, that's the worst. We actually that that sounds terrible, and I can't use this trick again because I'm going to tell everybody about this. But one of our races is more of like an adventure race, and you got to think through clues. So we have different checkpoints around the property and you could just follow the regular trail and it's going to take you there or, you know, use your head. You can, you can cut and that's allowed, you know, it's in the rules. Yeah. We always make it look super appealing to cross the swampy field. You know, you can see the checkpoint on the other side, but it's all sawgrass. It's the worst. <laughs> and people show up probably looking how you looked after that race. And I guess I'm a terrible person, but we laugh so hard every time. And it's sort of like, <laughs> a, it's like a rite of passage. Like you see someone come back, they're off, their legs are cut up with sawgrass and, and everybody's like, Oh, you must be new. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and then they talk about stories where they've done it before. That's awesome. Um, so, so before we transition, cause I want to talk a little bit more about noob sanity. Uh, any kind of final thoughts on platinum rig? And do you remember what team ended up winning? Uh, team platinum rig ended up winning which see yeah (laughs) but it it was fair i mean they they were the best athletes there it wasn't like they they had some crazy advantage 
The one thing I'd say is right, and I, uh, I said that because the Platinum Ring guys that are like sponsored by Platinum Ring are are great athletes. Like they're usually on the podium or in second at OCR World Championships or uh, North American OCR Championships for the relay. Yeah, right. They're great I mean, athletes. That's why I said that. A- absolutely. Well, I mean, it, there's some races like you know local stuff where you know someone wins, you're like, okay, like it's because they they train here every day. Like I think I do pretty well at elite OCR races. You know, but I'm not competing with some of the big dog, big dogs, but you put them on the course in my backyard. I'm going to have a pretty good chance. Um, at least the first time through. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway for me is just, I had met platinum rig Dom at OCR worlds before. And he, you know, he came off as just an extremely knowledgeable guy, someone who's passionate about the sport and sort of that, that evil genius type that really can put on a cool event and everything about that plus more was true and the story that made me just really excited about this event was we're on the start line and the first lap was no obstacles that's what they had posted we're on the start line he's giving us our instructions he's about to say go and he goes oh one more thing he goes there's a whole there's every there's a sandbag for everybody behind this wall go get one and come back to the start line. No one had any idea. So we had to go behind this wall. We all got these big stupid sandbags and about 10 seconds later, he started the race. So it was just total chaos, something you couldn't be prepared for, but it made it perfect. It spread the the field out the right way. Um, and it just added that little bit of that fun and mystery that I think, can be missing in OCR sometimes when everything gets, gets standardized. So I thought that was really cool. This, this year they changed up. So there's a 24 and a 12 hour format, which I think is really a good idea. And they changed it from October to June. And as someone who made it through the first event in October, I'm excited for it being in June. It's kind of like when World's Toughest decided that December in New Jersey wasn't a good idea <laughs> <laughs> because all the obstacles at some points of the night were freezing over. It was super cold because people were just camping. They they lit fires at the transition area, so people huddled around it. I mean, it was it was a bit of a suffer fest, even though it wasn't supposed to be. Yeah, and I thought that was that was good my final comparison for this event would be if you've ever done a Ragnar event um, or especially a Ragnar trail, it reminded me of that where everybody's hanging out, you're camping, you're mingling with other teams. And then all of a sudden it's your time to go and you hammer. And then all of a sudden you're back and you're hanging out again. So cool event. Can't say enough about it. Definitely. If you are thinking about it, do it. You won't be disappointed with it. And I'm sure it'll, be even bigger and badder next year awesome well i'm gonna try to squeeze it into my schedule we'll see see if i can find a good team and if it fits into the rest of my race schedule i haven't actually planned anything besides conquer the gauntlet and toughest motor yet so well i got some people here in the northeast for uh, a a noob sandy two team if you're if you're interested i'll keep so, it in mind i'll keep it in mind i'm sure you got some crazy strength and speed people but um <laughs> That way, you, that way you don't beat me too bad. I can, I can like, I'll weight it accordingly for every good person I give you. I'm like, oh, this person's a stud. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. And you show up and be like, what? And I'm like, oh, my bad. <laughs> 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 
So speaking they're of in noob, a, they're in they're in a costume. <laughs> speaking of noob sanity, let's jump into that a little bit. So what uh, what did you have go on this past year, and kind of what do you have going on for twenty twenty? That's exciting. Oh, we we had another big year with Mud Gauntlet. That's our biggest event. That's our spring race. It's in May, and for this year we're we're looking to to add a a longer portion for it. So if people are driving in. You know, sometimes it, you know, even if it's a, a obstacle pack course, a 5k, you're like, I might not drive for that. I want to get a few more laps in or you're a distance person. So we want to make sure we have the elite like 5k option, even though my 5k is about four miles at this point, cause we keep adding obstacles, but we want to do something of like a, like a four hour to six hour range as well for people that are interested in that. So we're going to try to add that this year. I'm working with two other independent OCR races to to make like a New York State Triple Crown in the spring. So basically all within a month. So from the beginning of May to the beginning of June, we'll have one in Albany, one in Binghamton, that's where we are, and then one in Buffalo. And, you know, have people line up race. I mean, all these are good courses. You've been to Sunny Hill Viking before, so that would be one of them. And the other one is at a, a ski resort in Buffalo, so it's Muddy Buffalo. And they always put a put an awesome event in. They change their date from a, a midsummer event just because Western New York Tough Mudder is the same weekend that they had been doing it in August. So they moved it to June, and it makes it better for a potential triple crown. So we just thought that would be something fun to do. We're excited about that. At Noob Sanity, we've we've done an ultra for the last two years and it's a little bit different than how most people do it but you go four hours hard on our ocr side of it and then you have an hour to finish your lap and transition to the other side of our course and we all start as a mass start again for four hours plus finish the lap you're on on the extreme ravine side of our course so that way you're really pushing when you're fresh and you can do all the crazy obstacles that we have but when your body's starting to fail and obstacles are becoming a struggle, you're, you're on the trail side of everything. So we've done that the last two years, had about a hundred athletes both times as we've been working out the, the kinks of it. And this year we're, we're going to try to push that one a little bit more. We're going to try to get some prize money in it and, and see, see if we can get some people from out of town that can beat our noob Sandy studs because when I talked about that home course advantage before so far, that's, that's helped our guys out for the ultra and for the mud gauntlet. So um, we'll, we'll see if someone can come from out of town and, and beat that home course advantage that our people get from training here week in and week out, you know, just knowing some of the crazy obstacles that we have that you wouldn't see at a, at a Spartan race or a tough mudder. Yeah. The course, your course is legit, man. I was, I was hurting bad <laughs> when I was there. Granted, I was a couple of days into my event, but still, like, I remember doing one lap and being like, whoa, this is not going to be easy. <laughs> yeah. We, so. we added a couple more things in there. So I, I think they had one at OCR Worlds or North America, and I saw them advertising for it, and I was like, what the heck? I was like, that, that's our obstacle. But you, know, you can only think of so many things. Yeah. It's not like anybody copied it. It's just like, oh, I should think of an obstacle where this happens but um i think the i'm trying to think what they called it at, at their event but essentially you you start underneath 
and you work your way up and you turn around and basically uh, you're yeah. on like the underside. It's a metal thing, but ours is, it's 40 feet long and <laughs> it's, it's pretty brutal. We have three different lanes for it. So one of them kind of looks like the letter M. One of them is a smaller M and the other one's flat and that helps us get people through it. So we have that. We'll, we're building the pavilion. We have a, we have a new finishing obstacle that we want to build near the pavilion because we're moving our start finish line up to that. So we keep all the festival area and start finish line where you can see all the main obstacles on our course instead of pulling them away to where we used to have it. And one of the other things that we're doing is um, we've done youth training for the last two summers. So basically once a week in the same way that we do Wednesdays, um, we have, we have kids come up from like four to 11 or five to 11 years old and they have a blast and they've been loving it. We do two five week sessions and each five week session ends with a mini race. And this year we ended instead of doing just a mini race, we did a bigger race where we took some of our leftover prizes that we had for the kids and, you know, did an award ceremony for them. But just with the popularity that we've seen from that and unfortunately having to turn some kids away because we want to make sure we have enough eyeballs on, on the kids to keep everybody safe. And with it being more of a training than an event, we didn't have the staff for it. Um, this year we're, we're putting it out as a big event and we're going to have a, a big youth race right before they go back to school. So kids that are new to OCR, they can train with us during the summer and give it a try. Kids that are in New York state or around the Northeast that want to come do real obstacles and, and not do some of the rinky dink stuff that I think they put forward to just keep kids busy at an OCR race, then they can come they can come race our race and we're going to have some pretty cool prizes for the kids. That's awesome. You guys are doing great work as always and not surprised on any of that. So good to hear. And I definitely need to make it up there at some point. Yeah. And just my last thing with the kids one, I think you see this when you go to different races and I can't speak for, for all the different brands, but um, you know, I think sometimes it's, it's an afterthought to have the kids out there and we're not thinking enough about getting that next generation into the sport because right now the sport is living on the, the burst in popularity that it got, you know, when it was brand new and people wanted to have a picture of themselves doing a mud race or doing an obstacle course race, but that's faded a little bit. And with that, we've seen, we've seen a, a decline in some of the, the attendance numbers because it's not that brand new thing. So it's, it's how do you keep the people involved that are already involved? I think the brands are focusing on that, but how do you get that next generation in there? And I think it's, you know, it's exposing them to stuff like this when they're younger, showing them that it's a, you know, it's a sport. It's something that they can do with their friends. And, you know, we've had great success with it. Like the kids love it. I get emails from parents all the time being like, you know, Hey, are you guys doing an extra session? You know, my kid wants to come up. Can we have a birthday? It's, it's just been a really cool thing to be able to do. And one of the things that I think prevents kids from being engaged when they do a kid's race at some of the other brands is the courses are so easy. You know, it's like run over here, step through this tire. Yeah. Um, here's a, 
a foam pit and you're, you're done. And they're, you know, I see kids that do some crazy stuff. You know, they can make it through the hard side of the rig lane. They can make it up the, there's a 11 year old girl who made it up the hard side of rip curl. Damn. It's like a legit warped wall. For those of yeah, it's those it's listening. it's fifteen feet. I mean, granted, she ended up going and she made it on American Ninja Warrior Junior, whatever that show is. But um, you know, like kids can do some amazing things. We just we don't put them in situations where they can test themselves. Like we never want to put them in a dangerous situation. We have obstacles that we certainly don't allow them to do. Um, some of our higher things, you know, some of the ones that are are a little bit more dangerous. But you know you'd be amazed at how many kids can figure out a way to get over a, a nine foot wall. You'd be like, how are they even going to reach the top? And they're like hanging on the sides. They reach the top, they swing a leg over and boom. Yeah. You're like, you're like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's problem solving. It's athleticism. It's yeah. Outside the box yeah. thinking like those are all, those are all great skills and bringing athletes in young is obviously beneficial, right? Cause then you theoretically, that's a lifelong participant. And maybe they, maybe they don't do what some of us do where we race 10 to 20 times a year, but, you know, they do one or two races a year in their hometown. And, you know, that's what they, they do annually. And that contributes to the sport and keeps the sport growing and viable. And my right. daughter, my daughter's four and a half now. And when we take her to races and they have a kid's course, she loves it. She like, she eats it up. Right. If there's no kid's course, she's like, ah, where's the kid's course. It's like, eh. and, <laughs> And the, the, right. the one, the one at Warrior Dash was like straight garbage. It was like, <laughs> I, I took her to Warrior Dash one when she was like three, and she was like, it, like she wasn't even impressed with it when she was three. <laughs> it was like literally crawl through a tube, step over a tire, and walk on a balance beam, and like that was it. Um, and then the the Conquer Youth Course though is is really good. So we've taken her yeah, to that, I've, and we got her going to Mini Mudder uh, this coming weekend. So cool. I was, I've seen some pictures of the the conquer the gauntlet kids course. So that one, that one looks legit. Um, I'll say one thing that surprised me and you know, if, if you run an OCR event or you're trying to get people to it, um, I didn't even think of this. It just happened that way. And I'm like, Oh, that's pretty cool. We had a bunch of kids that came for kids night and then their parents started doing OCR. Yep. So, you know, we're like, they saw their kids doing it and they've been meaning to get in shape. They've been meaning to come up here, but they didn't do it because you know, they're afraid to take that first step. And by doing some of the parent kids nights that we do, where we let the parents go with the kids and quote, help them, even though I think the kids are more athletic in, <laughs> in some situations, but it gave them the confidence to say, Hey, like I could do this. This actually is fun. And they got talking to some of the other parents at the kids training and they're like, you know what, I'm going to sign up for an event. I'm going to sign up for something. And we probably have 15 new um, adults that started coming to our trainings and our events through our, our kids program this year. So that, that was pretty cool. And it's yeah, something they can share with their kids then. That is cool. I know uh, for the main prizes and the Conquer Youth Course, all the people showing up to that, I mean, 98% of them didn't even know about the adult race, right? So like, that bringing, like you were saying, it brings the parents to the event and then they're like, oh, there's an adult race. There's like a, there's a pro team. There's a competitive side to this sport. There's open wave people. Like it, it, it blows their mind that there's like all this other stuff around. It's like, 
yeah, yeah. And, you know, we have people on Ninja Warrior and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, cool. So, mm-hmm. good stuff. Yeah. All right. Let's do a couple more topics we want to touch on before we let you go. Let's talk uh, real quick. I know you had some pretty serious injury. Uh, talk a little bit about that and your road to recovery. Sure. So 2018 started off strong for me. I had a, I had a second place in the, in a podium at, at Greek peak Spartan. I followed it up with a win at Viking race in their regular race and then kept going and, and won their ultra that they do on the same day. Um, had a, had a good finish at Savage race. And then, you know, I had just had this nagging pain. I thought I pulled my groin. I thought maybe my abs were hurt and I just didn't know what was going on. And I struggled with it all of 2018, really couldn't train. I did almost exclusively rowing, kettlebell workouts, pull-ups, and I somehow signed up for Killington Spartan race, ran the race, was in excruciating pain. I think I got fifth place. And I went, my wife's like, you have to go see a doctor. Like you need something's wrong. So I'd been putting that off and I went and saw the doctor. Um, I had bone fragments in my hip. I guess one of the biggest one was about the size of an M&M. I had torn my labrum and I had a cam lesion and a pincer lesion. So that's when you have excess bone growth from it smashing together on the like the femur, the bones, the leg side, and then on the hip side. So I had surgery. I had an awesome surgeon for that, had a great PT and ended up getting back to just light running at the end of February, beginning of March and just rehabbed super hard so that I could come back for my, my first OCR race back, which was Savage Race PA. Ended up getting a, a podium there. Um, did okay, you know, top 10-ish finishes at a couple of the Spartan mountain race series that I did. My fitness just for the mountain side of it wasn't there yet. So um, it's definitely excited about 2019. I've been, I've been training hard this fall, and I'm excited for some big things. Also, I went up and did the, the Fit Challenge in Rhode Island last year, so I have that on my spring schedule this year. It'll be my, probably my first big test after Greek Peak. If anybody hasn't done that one before, it's a independent course. Usually they win a mud run guide award or two. And yeah, it's, Rob, Rob McCoy looks like he puts on a great course. That's been on my oh, it's bucket cool. list the last like two or three years. Yeah. I, I that's just, that's just one of those places you, you have to get to and you show up and you know, it's, it's everybody from elites to this is my first OCR race, cool vibe, cool obstacles they got some swag afterwards. So that, that was a fun one. I'm excited for it this year, but, but yeah, the hip injury was a, was a bummer, especially not knowing what it was for so long and, and probably making it worse. So um, I'm sure I'll pay for that later in life, but for now it's feeling, it's feeling awesome. And and I'm just rolling. So for our listeners, what would you say would be the lesson learned from that is if you have a nagging injury, you should get it checked out or what's like, what could you, what would you do differently if you could somehow rewind time? I'm probably the worst person on the planet to ask that question because when I broke my back riding motocross, I didn't know for a week and a half. Um, (laughs) I thought I pulled a muscle in my back, which 
that's pretty stupid. Um, I had a compression fracture, but anyways, I, my, what my college coach always said was, you know, if you, if you have an injury, you know, take two days off, see how it feels. If you had, if you've taken two days off and you start back and it hurts again and you end up putting in a full week of easy training with those two days off and it still hurts, you should go see somebody because at that point, you'll either get a, hopefully you get a definitive answer that tells you, yeah, suck it up. I can train through that or no, you know, this is something worse and I I need to do X, Y, and Z to fix it. So my, my crazy physical therapist that got me through my hip injury, um, he, he tries to be my voice of reason. I, if everybody could have somebody that just shoots straight with them, you know, when he says, yeah, you can do that. It's just going to hurt. You know, you're going to be in a ton of pain. I don't think you can do that, but try it. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And he's also the same guy where, um, you know, I went into him because my wife made a deal with me that I had to see a medical professional before I did a go ruck because I had been limping around on my knee. And I was like, fine, I'll go see Matt. And she's like, that doesn't count. And I went and saw him and he checked it out and he's like, you tore your MCL. And I was like, Oh, and I was like, can I still do go ruck? He's like, no, <laughs> he's like, absolutely not. He's like, what are you doing? Cause I actually, I didn't even go and see him. We were working out together and I casually brought it up in conversation. <laughs> I was like, I was like, Hey man, like I know we're doing like a grip workout, like some ninja stuff, but you know, my knee's been bugging me and that's why I'm not doing any of the jumpy stuff today. Can you, you know, can you, take a look at this and he did whatever test they do on it where they wiggle your leg around and I about turned white as a ghost from pain. And he's just like, what is wrong with you? So, um, if anybody, anybody knows me or knows my family, it probably makes sense. So, um, <laughs> anyways, right on. The, the, so, that's some good advice. I mean, I, I might similar advice. See, I, I usually, you know, if almost all na- almost all injury or things that, I think our injuries initially typically go away in 48 hours, 48 to 72 hours. You know, over my life, I've had only like one or two things that took about two weeks to go away. And then if it was, if it, if it lasted longer than two weeks, it was, it was some sort of serious injury. And typically I knew that ahead of time, right? Like, Oh my, I just tore my pec. It's like, yeah, that I felt the muscle ripping on that one. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure that's what I did. So yeah. You, sometimes you don't have to guess. Yeah. Um, we always joke that, that Matt has a full circle physical therapy program because he does all like the OCR and motocross and water skiing. So like he has the normal patients and then like half the people he sees are like all his friends that somehow got hurt doing an activity with him. So about two months ago, my dad had rehabbed from a a shoulder surgery and he was racing motocross again. Matt was racing with him. My dad's 60 something, but he was racing in the plus 40 class. He was in the lead and, Lo and behold, Matt was in second place and he was trying to pass him and he jumped on my dad over like a 60 foot double jump and <laughs> messed up his other shoulder. So, um, it was, it was one of those things where, you know, we, we gave him a hard time about it and, and that's racing anyways, but yeah. you know, we were like up oh, full circle physical therapy program. Nice. Now, before we, before we let you go, I know you had some uh, strong opinions on some of Spartan's new rules. 
let's uh, touch on that and before we give our final shout outs. So uh, I'll just kind of turn it over to you. Well, this, it's perfect because anytime you, you say anything, you know, negative or critical, you get about 90% of the people that do Spartan races immediately hate you. And that's, that's not what I'm going for. I just, I want people to think through it critically, you know, as a sport, we're continuing to grow. And I, I think sometimes they do things that are in the right direction, but um, either aren't executed well, or if they weren't executed well, then maybe they had the wrong intention with it. So um, this year they came out with, you have to apply to be elite. It costs $30. And for most people that are going to be running elite that are truly elite, they probably already met the automatic qualifications. They got emailed, you know, a code so that they go online and sign up. So if you're not familiar with that, you can go to their website. There's a bunch of articles for it. But when we initially saw the, the standards, you're like, oh, well, you know, if you're someone that's podium in the elite division, like they're just going to email you a code, but that's not how it, it turned out. Like if you're not doing some of their national series races and placing well in that point series, which kind of feels like you just need to go to a lot of Spartan races to, to get the code, um, then you have to pay $30 for them to check their results to tell you you're elite. So it just, it felt like they're, they're still tweaking to be done for sure when one of my athletes has to pay $30 to apply to be elite for a race that she won the elite wave of last year. So I, I don't know how else to say it, but that just that felt wrong and reaching out to Spartan, they weren't particularly helpful about it. They're like, well, that's the standard. So um, it, it is what it is, but I, I feel like that's where um, – world's toughest mutter before you could apply for contender status. That doesn't cost you money to do that. You have, um, OCR worlds, you have your result verification. You don't pay money to do that. I don't mind, you know, paying extra to be elite, you know, because you're going after prize money, they have timing, they have officiating, but when you're paying the same amount that you've always paid plus extra, but you're not getting anything else as a, as an athlete, it just, it doesn't feel right. You know, there's no, you know, now that you're applying for elite, there's no special entrance or accommodations. There's not money, extra money going towards officiating um, or prize money. And if there is, they just haven't announced it. And I feel like that's where the rollout of this just wasn't as smooth as they wanted it to be. And to me, I think if you're going to have a, pro standard and qualifications or elite license, whatever you want to call it, like you have in other sports, then there needs to be one of two things. If there's a cost to it, you need to show that there's an administrative burden on the side of the, the organization. Um, and then hopefully there's a benefit for the athlete um, besides just saying, well, the elite wave isn't going to be full when you sign up because I think rarely that's an issue. And if you're truly elite, they'll get you into the wave anyways. Do you have any thoughts on it, Evan? Are you familiar with it? Uh, so you, you enlightened me on some of the nuances of it. I was familiar with the general principle and practice of it. As a marketing move, I think it's a good move, right? Because like you were saying, they're, they're making people choose sides. They're making people commit to their brand. And like you were saying, like it, if you do a lot of their series, you get a lot more points. 
which, you know, even if you don't do super well at all of them, if you just show up and put out a solid performance, you know, whatever, whatever your capability is, if you show up to all of them in the series and put out quote unquote, whatever your, your solid performance is, you'll, you'll get pretty high on that. Um, you get a decent standing just for showing up. So I understand where they're going from a marketing move. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not too, too strongly opinionated on it. I just, mostly because I don't run Spartans. And um, this, this helped me, not that I had any planned initially for 2020, but this, I mean, this made the decision easier, right? Like, you know, I consider doing Sweden or uh, Iceland, the 24 hour championship, but you know, with, with now that with this rule, I, I won't do it. So uh, I'll, well, which I, is fine. I, so I'll, I'll stick to world stuff. That's, that's fine. Yeah. I think you do, you do pretty darn well there. I had a couple world's toughest questions for you. If you got time, I think as someone that lives in the Northeast where, you know, Spartan is a mainstay, if you do OCR in the Northeast and you don't do Spartan, you're, you are missing out. Um, yeah. And there's just so know, many races in driving distance. It's like, yeah, they're it, like everywhere. Right. You know, it, I, I understand it. I get it. It's everywhere. You know, there's a lot of weekends. That's where the best competition is. I mean, from a performance standpoint, I love savage races. Um, I love how the courses are set up. I love the difficulty of the obstacles. Um, I'll typically do better on a flat course than a, a mountain course. Just it is what it is. That's my, my style of running. But I still love going out to the, the Spartan races. Like for not being as good at hills, like Killington is one of the coolest races that you can do. Um, Palmerton's an awesome race. Greek Peak's right up the road from us. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do at least a few OCR races that are Spartans every year just because I love OCR races and they do have a good product. It's just, you know, when you get nickel and dimed on, on fees and, and you're like, man, you know, I just, I just don't want to pay that. And people are always like, well, then don't pay it. And I was like, well, I want to race and I want to race the best people. Like, you know, the other option is sit home or travel five hours. Like I get it. They, they can charge it. So they will. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right in the sense of like, this is truly what's best for the sport, for the athletes. I think it's what's best for the bottom line right now. And um, we'll see how that goes over time. So one of the things that I actually noticed in the last actually 24 hours is, you know, maybe a, I think it was about a year or two ago, Spartan separated their Spartan page, Facebook page from their Spartan race, Facebook page, which made no sense to me. I was like, they're, they're literally one of the same. But in the last 48 hours, I've seen like two advertisements or two announcements where they're rolling out other things. So they, there's something called Spartan Fighter where they make like geese and like MMA apparel apparently. And then they just partnered or bought some mountain bike race, some like super hard mountain bike race. So I was, I was commenting to one of my friends, like, is this the beginning of, I mean, one, it's obviously Spartan's trying to make themselves a lifestyle brand. So not just Spartan race. Well, I mean, they did trail races this year. Right. Which, yeah. And that too. Again, I've heard rave reviews about those events and it just blows my mind because you see the price it costs to run a Spartan trail race. There's no obstacles. Like trails are free, you guys. And if you just, if you Google trail races, especially if you live in the Northeast, there are tons of kick-ass trail races, you know, where you'll race awesome competition in state parks, national parks, cool trails, and you don't get fancy awards or swag but i mean you get to race the race against good competition and it's like oh that's 
25 bucks and you're like, Oh, how far is it? And you're like 30 miles. And you're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, it covers the, the food that everybody gets at the end. Cause we serve a meal and you're like, what? <laughs> and then Spartan race is like, yeah, this is a hundred something dollars. And the people are like, okay. Plus parking. Yeah. And plus parking. And check. <laughs> well, and, and just from it's, it's cool. Cause you see Spartan people getting onto, into trail running, but from a trail running standpoint, you know, I love trail runners, um, but you will not find a cheaper group of people than trail runners. Like I, hardcore trail runners are just like, I would say climbers probably gives them a run for their money, but that's about sure. it. I think those two lifestyles, like from like a, a trail runner where we have like Ithaca, New York, you know, that's a, a, a trail running centric place in our area. You'd not believe how many people are like, oh, I camped here before the race. I rode my bike here. Like, I'm just running the trails. I'm not actually in the race. And you're like, it's $10. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> you're banditing a $10 race? And it's not like a scrub that's like, you know, this person would win it. And they're like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just running the trails today. And you're like, okay. So it, it's funny that they've been able to take trail running and put a premium price on it. I think it shows how strong their brand is yeah. and how people will follow it. So if we're going to look into my crystal ball, my prediction for, you know, maybe even a year or two from now, a couple of years from now is Spartan world championships turns into like the Arnold sports festival, right? Where there's a headlining thing, like the Arnold sports festivals headlining thing is bodybuilding. And although they've actually kind of switched they're kind of leaning more towards strongman now, but th that's like the main event. And then there's all these sub competitions around it going on all week or all weekend where they're bringing in athletes and they're bringing in sponsors and they're bringing in vendors and turns into like this big, almost like X games kind of mini Olympics type, uh, type event. That's, that's my, that's my prediction for Spartan's future, you know, five-year plan type thing. So I'll put that I, out there. I can see that. I, I see them continuing to be a lifestyle brand and in some of the moves that maybe tough mutter had made a couple of years ago that didn't really catch fire like the tough mutter gyms um i just i see spartan executing on those things i see them you know with their sgx coaching you know and you know i see someone's like i'm an obstacle specialist i'm a this i'm a that and it's it's working and, you know, they, they get people, they have clientele and they're able to charge a premium price for whatever they do. So I think you're right. You'll, you'll see them step out into other things. It's, um, it's kind of like buying a Peloton stationary bike versus a regular stationary bike. Like you can, you can buy a regular one, but if you've, you know, if you've got that status, you're going to do Spartan. And I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle brand that it's turning into and they're doing well at it. I think yeah. you'll continue to see it become more and more of that lifestyle, like Spartan lifestyle. You know, we do training, we do this, we do that. Right. Diet and nutrition, yeah. nutrition, all that stuff. Yeah. And I think they'll be good at it. I mean, I agree. Yeah. You know, for, for me pissing and moaning about 30 bucks, um, <laughs> it, you know, from a business standpoint, rarely do you leave a Spartan race for whatever price they charge and you, you, you don't go, Oh, like that was worth it. Like, 
you know, I'm never like, oh, that was, that was a total ripoff. You know, I've paid less money for an obstacle course race and felt like that's a ripoff because it, because it was garbage. At least with Spartan, you, you know what you're getting. Yeah. I think what you, what you miss, um, and I'm biased just from owning an in, independent course is what you miss is the excitement and the unique experience that you get from different venues, um, you know, different obstacles when everything's standardized, I think it becomes a little bit less special because you're not using the uniqueness of that particular venue to your advantage. So again, from the pro motocross background, there's a 12 round national series from California to Massachusetts to Tennessee and different tracks suit different riding styles. Um, sometimes it leads to different winners or different outcomes in the race. And again, you know, as you, as you move to standardize in OCR, I just hope we don't lose that because there's a unique flavor to each location that makes it a little bit different and makes it exciting. It's the same reason that nobody watches track and field because you know, who's going to win beforehand. Like if you're watching a 10 K and someone starts to pull away with like 3000 meters left, you're like, well, this is over. (laughs) You're not like, you're not like, Oh, he's going to hit this obstacle. And then what happens? Or they're going to hit a hill. Um, he's not as good in the mud. You're like, well, it's running and he's faster and he's pulling away. So yeah, this guy's going to win. He's got a higher VO2 max and a uh, PR that's 30 seconds faster. So yeah, he's going to, yeah. he's going to win that one. Like I'm sure you've been in a local road race where it's like ready, set, go. And you're like 30 seconds in, you're like, I'm going to win this. Yep. Yeah. I've got this. Or, or you're or like, 30 seconds in and you're like, nope, that yeah, like, guy's gone. You're like, yep. Uh, I'm, I'll be in third. I'll be in third today. Like you're, yeah. you're like watching, you know, it's like, yeah. You know, immediately oh, you line up at the you line up at the start line, and you know the people there, and you're like, all right, he's faster, he's faster, and everyone else is slower, yeah. or I don't know them, and they look slower. So, yeah, yeah. And at an OCR race, I feel like there's always like a, you know, anyone's, there's that anyone's chance. Day. Yeah, you're any, like, day. someone's gonna miss this obstacle. Um, what's what's the trail like today? It's just different. Where I've had people drop me at the beginning of an OCR race just to catch them later either on obstacles or because the train changed and vice versa where I'm cruising. Then all of a sudden someone's chipping away and you go, Oh my gosh, like this person's a monster on the downhills. Yeah. So right um, let's, let's touch on those. Uh, yeah. You said you had a couple of world stuff questions. We'll touch on real quick and then we'll wrap it up. I do. I, I this might be, this might be painful for you, but just watching you know, I was following it online. It killed me not to be there. And your, your pacing, I, I don't know if you've done one yet where you talked about, you know, how that worked out. But as I was watching your pacing, I'm like, you know, this is dead on. Like this is, I could see exactly what you're doing, what you're going for. And, you know, I read your, some of your post-race comments. I think you, you talked about, you know, maybe cold or a wetsuit change, but can you just tell me a little bit more about, about that? And, um, you know, looking back on it, like if you would, if you would change anything. Um, yeah. So I talked about a little bit on the last world's toughest pod, uh, my last podcast from strength and speed, but you know, the plan was to run even effort, uneven pacing. So I, I, I I was very comfortable the whole time and I was running at a pace. I thought 
was good. Uh, I wasn't really pushing very hard. Uh, the my lap times look super fast because not all the obstacles are open, right? I'm just cruising. Yep. And I'm just flying by obstacles because they're not open. Um, so, you know, I felt good, and uh, yeah, that I, you know, the last two 12-hour races, I was still running people down when the time expired. I was still gaining on people. I was like, yep. you know what? I'm just gonna let, just kind of like open the valve and just kind of let whatever flows naturally go. And whatever place I'm in, that's what place I'm in. And, yeah. Um, and I, I, being... I respect the hell out of that because I, you know, I always talk about giving your, you know, running to win. You know, so many people show up to the start line, you know, even if it's not like winning the race, it's, you know, they're afraid of you know, what happens if I step over that red line. And instead of saying like, what could be my best potential race and let's try to race for that. And that's what it seemed like you were doing. So, yeah. so yeah, I mean, that, in, that was cool. In hindsight, I'd say I was a little bit too, <laughs> I was a little bit too far, but it didn't feel, it didn't feel like that at any point. I was never like, Oh man, I'm so out of breath or I'm pushing so hard. I was just like, I was just running. I was just running, feeling good. So, yeah. Um, oh, I've, I've been there and it's the most painful way that you can, you can get to the mileage that you, you got to, I mean, that's still 90 yeah. miles is crazy, but you know, for any, you know, people always talk about even splits when you are, when you hit that wall and you still keep going, um, those are the most painful miles. That was a, it I mean, was you, pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, so, was, I was proud of that. Cause there's, I mean, if you look at some of the past world's toughest, there's been guys who've been in the top three in the first 12 hours and they start losing placement and then they quit the race. And yeah. Like, and, and that's, you're not, that's you're not, not me. quitting. I'm no. that, I mean, so I'll say this, my wife, uh, like a year ago had a dream about racing. And, uh, so she tells me about it. She's like, yeah, I was at a race and, uh, I had a dream about racing and I was like, cool. Uh, was I there? And she was like, no, you had dropped out. And I was like, was I dead? And she's <laughs> like, she's like, no, I was like, you should have known it was a dream. <laughs> That's kind of the mentality I go into races with. So, um, yeah. Hopefully that never pans out. <laughs> but uh you know, it's just we, I think a lot of it comes from military background, right? There's no there's no quit button in the middle of a mission, right? And while I've never been in a, a mission where it's so extreme that, you know, you're running the Mogadishu mile out of downtown Somalia like they were in Black mm -hmm. Hawk Down, but like you know, there there's just it's just not an option. You, you just it's not something that's considered at any point. You know, I I have done, you know, missions where we were walking through the Iraqi countryside in the middle of all it was July it was actually July 4th we were pulling up this big cachet and we were it was only supposed to be out for like 30 minutes and we ended up being out for like hours so I ended up I ended, we ended up having to send guys to the truck back to the truck to get water and bring it back to us mm -hmm. but by the time they walked back to the trucks picked up the water and walked back to us we would run out of water again so it was like <laughs> endless cycles of guys going back and forth to the truck because they would drink some of the water on the way back and they can only carry so much. Um, we pulled up. It, so enormous it sounds cash. like a physics, a physics problem yeah. that you'd like have in high school. And you'd be like, this guy can only carry this much. He's walking at five miles an hour. Yeah. Like, ah, I don't know. I'm going to go with C. So uh, I've, I've got some other good stories from that that are not <laughs> appropriate to share in a publicly broadcast forum. Um, you can ask me about it some other time. And I, I touch on a little bit about in my book, Ultra OCR, man. I think I actually have a picture of the cachet. We pulled up this like, I think it was 
12 and a half or 14 and a half millimeter cannon out of the ground, like brand new. It's freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to take it back to America with us uh, as like a war trophy, but they ended up, <laughs> they ended up not choosing it. Cause we were allowed to take, like the unit was allowed to take one war trophy home. And I was like, take that one. We found it. It was take awesome. <laughs> like, no, we're going to take an artillery piece home because we're an artillery unit. I was like, you guys are, you're like, no, I was like, Something that well, something that was from like you know the initial invasion when none of us were even there for so whatever. yeah can I can I say if anyone's thinking about your book that um, the best thing that you could do is not only to buy it but when you offer to like sign it with any anything that they choose to write that you can choose to trash talk your friends with it because <laughs> one of the guys in my group bought an autographed copy of your book and requested that he that you write trash talk to me so his signed copy of the book says something like hey good luck man i know you're faster than jared so you're gonna crush it evan (laughs) i remember signing that one that was a good one yeah and i was just like man that's a fantastic idea so if anybody's out there and you're thinking about buying the book not only should you get it if you're still doing that autograph thing i am um, make sure that you pick a friend who'd appreciate it and trash talk them with Evan's help. And I'll write whatever you want in there. So, uh, or I cannot sign it. I'm good either way. And I, we do, I think we still do have free shipping on a lot of the books, uh, which I've haven't taken down from uh, black Friday weekend. Just I've been lazy. Now's a good time to order. All right. Any other questions, Jared, before we let you go? Yeah, I was going to, I was going to have you look in the crystal ball. And I apologize. You might have talked about this on your your last podcast. If it was world's toughest mutter focused, but I have a little baby, so like um, I've just been watching Baby Shark and the that movie Sing like eighty six hundred times oh, in yeah, between Frozen. Yep, yep. So um, with it being in Dallas, do you think this is finally the year where? wetsuits aren't going to be the deciding factor do you think we could have finally get lucky and have like a non-wetsuit year or do you think we're still in for a total suffer fest i think i think one of the years in dallas it will be non no wetsuit oh well if you're if you're a runner like me who likes to ride the line and can run uh for a good chunk of the event i think one of the years it will be no wetsuits okay that's that's kind of guys that's what i was thinking too i i think maybe it's a frog skin maybe it's like a merino wool top but i think one of the years i think that could happen and i think you know someone that can ride that line and stay out of a wetsuit is going to have such a huge advantage and then at the same time you don't know if this is the year that it's going to work or it's going to not so you might just have a, a bunch of people that flame out super hard because they got cold when it, it doesn't seem that cold, but they tried to push it right on that ragged edge for so long. Yeah. And I, I rode the line pretty good this year. I mean, my, I, my finger, t- my fingertips are back to normal. My toe tips are not, they're still a little numb. And, uh, th- I don't know if they'll ever broadcast it or show it in the, but they, the Tough Mudder camera was like following me around when I was in first, uh, around like eight or eight to 12 hours in. And when I changed mm-hmm. outfits one of the times, I was like shaking violently. <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, you know, like you can't control yourself. So I don't know if they'll ever show that footage, but yeah, I was, I was riding the line the, pretty good. The things that don't make their marketing promos, uh-huh. the, the, the guy in the lead shaking uncontrollably, the, as I talked to all my friends 
afterwards just talking about like, oh, my fingers are still numb. My toes are still numb. Like I'm totally going to be back hopefully next year or I mean like 2020, I'll be at it again. But um, there's a couple things like when the event's over and you can still, you've just been watching at home so you can feel your fingers and toes and you're like, this is kind of nice. Like <laughs> going going to a turkey trot race and not running like a total bag of garbage. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm pretty sure everyone who's only seen me at turkey trot races for, you know, the past decade has been like, I thought, I thought this guy was fast and I show up and, you know, I'd start off at like a seven minute mile and ended a 12 minute walking pace. Cause one of my foot's numb, you know, my other legs cramped up, like just, your, your heart rate's at like 180 despite running at like yeah. a 10 minute mile pace. You're like, you you go from sweating profusely to freezing back to sweating all during a Turkey trot. And it's, it's like the perfect distance after a world's toughest mutter where you think you might be recovered. You're like, I don't know. Like I'm actually not feeling that bad. And like half a mile in, you're like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> and my town's, turkey trot happens to be a five miler instead of a 5k so i usually tank super hard like i'll go out with the leaders like i normally do after world's toughest <laughs> you know so i'll go out in like a 550 mile and i'll end with like 11 minutes i'm like walking and they're like it's like what happened i'm like i did that race thing again and no one understands because no one does ocr and they're like okay man like hope you feel better i'm like yeah don't worry about it <laughs> And it's That's upstate amazing. New York, so I don't get a chance to redeem myself for like five months. <laughs> and like, I hope Jared's okay. So it's always fun. Well, I appreciate you you having me on. Yep. And hopefully we'll we'll get to race head to head sometime, and maybe it'll be at the Platinum Rig, twelve or twenty four hours, and definitely, hopefully, I'll see you in Dallas. Sounds good. Uh, before we go we'll do this one so we sometimes ask people tell us one thing people would be surprised to know about you so uh, i did not prep you for this question so do you have anything that people would be surprised to know about you oh boy um they might have guessed this one but i had a streak from kindergarten to 11th grade where i went to the emergency room every year <laughs> <laughs> so if if you knew my dad race pro motocross that might not be a surprise to you um if we have moms in the audience you can understand what my mom went through and um probably what my wife goes through with me having an obstacle course in my backyard that's yeah that's pretty good so i'll share i, I didn't share one last time because i couldn't think of anything good people were talking about their previous jobs so i'll share one my last operational job i was actually in charge of now, one of the sections underneath uh, my, in my company was the canines, the dogs. So if you were watching the news last month and they had the al-Baghdadi raid and the, essentially the dogs were like all over the news because they chased this terrorist down. He ended up killing himself by blowing himself up. Um, the military working dogs that, that I've worked with are just phenomenal animals. I mean, they can find bombs, they can track, they can attack. And when they attack people, it is terrifying, like absolutely terrifying. Like they will straight up eat it'll straight up eat your arm so um those things are awesome uh so just a kind of a cool experience i didn't actually train them it was like i was in charge of the guys that trained them essentially uh, that was someone from the last podcast and 
as far as injuries go, um, this one's again, maybe not surprising to kind of like yours. Uh, I've only gotten stitches once in my life. And it was when I was trying to cut open a frozen piece of bread, Ezekiel bread, <laughs> stabbing my hand and I'm bleeding all over the place. And like, like you'd expect from me, I, I was like, should I go for my 10 mile run or should I go to the hospital? And I was like, Hmm. And like, I put on my running You're shoes. Probably like, I could run to the hospital. I walked out the door and then I was like, all right, I can feel my pulse in my thumb. Like I should probably go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital and got stitches. Um, but that's not the first. Typically, when I injure myself, I'm typically like, "Yeah, I should definitely still train through this, and then I'll worry about it later." But. So, I always, you know, I picture you as like elite athlete. You have all this crazy military experience. Do you ever do you, like? I'll throw a question at you. Worst job, like, you know, did you ever work work at McDonald's or something where you're just like, you know, I can, I don't picture Evan working. No, I, I worked as a waiter in a catering hall at one point, but only for a couple of months. That was like the only job I had. Um, and it was towards the end of high school. I did that. And then basically I went to college and I had a scholarship. And part of the scholarship, they give you a couple hundred bucks a month as a stipend. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't work for that. And then on the summers, we typically have some sort of military training. So it didn't really facilitate getting a job. It didn't make much sense um, based off how often I would be gone. So I didn't really have any you know, typical jobs growing up. And then I went right into the military and, um, you know, basically worked in the military since I graduated college. So, Got yeah. It. Just so I had the, I, I had the standard, you know, food industry ones, but I, when I was running in college, I worked on a tobacco farm in the summer and that's, that's hands down the worst job. That sounds you terrible. Ever, it sounds like you, you ever, absorb all the tobacco through your skin. You t- funny story you do (laughs) so even though it's like 90 something degrees you have to wear long sleeves so that the nicotine doesn't get in your skin you don't get sick and all the like pesticides and things that they put on it would make your arms break out in hives and I I don't know if there's some step of the process that I missed but you know when they always talk about smoking being bad like it's not like lettuce it's not like they wash that like they just put it in the barn to dry and then ship it off so who knows where it goes but yeah like not that i was ever a smoker before but like you you saw that and i was like okay learn two things i was like one never need to do that two i should study harder in school (laughs) my uh the best man for my wedding and the godfather of my daughter uh, is a pharmacist and uh side note he recommends wearing gloves if you're packing viagra for people so just a (laughs) just a tip put out there (laughs) They say with handling drugs. Um, yeah. All right. Oh. We're, we're going to wrap things up. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, again, head over to teamstrengthspeed.com. Blegmits are available. Books are available. The contest is available. It's on the main page, and it's also on our Facebook page. Go enter. Um, check out Hannibal Race Kuwait. Uh, mean Dib, the owner, who we've had on the podcast a couple episodes ago, is doing great things. We've got something else coming down the pipe for hopefully later 2020 which i can't talk about but it's in the works and i'm super excited about that i really hope it i really hope it pans out i don't want to say something before it's true but keep an eye out on handle race keep an eye out on a mean and strength and speed and we will catch all of you next week